morning. One of those songs we just sang said, let us be more aware of your presence. So if you're not aware of his presence yet this morning, it is here today. It, uh, God is good. God is good. Trying to get started, I'm just so overwhelmed by his presence and the, the outpouring of answered prayer that I just, I just felt it up here this morning. It was just incredible. Um, as getting this message prepared, I was really not exactly sure how to like get it off the dock, so to speak. I wasn't really sure. I knew the, the, the title and the, and the theme and where we were going to head, you know, middle end of it, but getting it going, I wasn't really sure. And this is either, I, I noted in here, this is either going to be the shortest message I've ever preached, or it could be the longest message I've ever preached. And we might be here for another hour and a half. I'm not really sure. If you're not happy about the length of it, take it up with Jesus, because Holy Spirit's the one that leads the church. He's, yeah, or tell the wife. Yeah, that's true. But uh, as I was getting re- this ready, as I was asking the Holy Spirit to lead me, and I, and I told the first service that I think I speak for all the pastors here whenever I say this. You can correct me if I'm wrong. You could, nine times out of ten, listen to a message that I give here on Sunday morning or online or whenever, and then you could take my notes home and read it, and you would have then experienced a two-part sermon series on the same topic, because rarely do I say everything that's typed here or share every thought. Uh, most of the time, there's stuff that the Holy Spirit leads that I share with first service that I don't share here or that I share that I don't share there or vice versa. Sometimes there's stuff that's not in there that I share with both. It's whatever the Holy Spirit has. He knows what we need to hear, when we need to hear it, how we need to hear it, and from who we need to hear it. There are messages for this church that I cannot give to you. There are messages of this church that, that the Holy Spirit needs our body to hear and I'm not the person to deliver it. I may not have the, the knowledge background of it. I may not have the enthusiasm for that particular topic. There are messages that I'm going to deliver that I'm the only pastor in the church that is able to deliver that message because it resonates with me in such a way that I can passionately share that with you. So I don't know if we're having an early lunch or a late lunch. We'll find out together. How does that sound? There, if it goes too long, Indian snacks in the back. We'll pray for the nursery and the frog workers. They are back there with the kids extra time. But as we get started this morning, I want to share a verse, and I want this to be on our hearts and on our minds this morning as we go through the message that God has given me. In 2 Corinthians 13, 11, it says this, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. And if I'm being honest, as I was getting this message ready and Allie's really awesome. We have like locker rooms and stuff where I work. And so she texted me this week and said, hey, take clothes with you, uh, shower at work and get all cleaned up and stuff. Go to Starbucks and just work on your stuff until you get it done. Whatever you need to get done, just go work on it. Read, study, type, whatever, just do what you do. And so that's what I did. And as I was sitting there, and a lot of times I make the graphic first because it kind of gets, gets me, my mind rolling and everything like that. And as I made this graphic I was sitting there in Starbucks, and I hope nobody noticed. It was just me and the workers most of the time. There was very few people in there at 6, 7 o'clock at night on a Thursday. But as I made this graphic, I started to get emotional. As I looked at this picture, and I just felt the Lord reminding me, and, and it was almost like I was looking into my past whenever I looked at this picture. Looking at myself before where I've been empty and hollow and, and felt worthless and less than, and I was just wandering through this life aimlessly, wondering if, wondering if the feelings of apathy would ever go away. 
wondering if I would ever have a, a passion so deep about something or anything in my life I would care about enough to, to do something about it. And I looked at this picture and I, and I got emotional and, just, and it just resonated with me because I've, I've been this person before in my life as I believe many of us probably have. And I, I felt this, this tremendous weight of apathy just crippling me before and I would look around at different aspects of my life and just wonder, what's the point? Where is this going? For anybody that doesn't know what apathy means or how to explain it, the definition of apathy is a lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. The, the, Larry afterwards, he said that his favorite definition of apathy he's ever heard was, I don't know and I don't care. Some synonyms for apathy are indifference, detachment, lethargy, and passivity. And if you can't tell just by the definition or that list of synonyms, apathy is a dangerous thing. It's dangerous in our homes, at our work, with our children, but it is especially dangerous in the church. Unfortunately, apathy has not only entered many of our churches today, but it is crippling our church today. Does any, anybody here, nobody in first service knew, so you, no judgment if you don't know, does anybody know who Dr. Frank Turek is? He's one of the more well-known Christian apologists. He's very well-spoken, very well-read. He's very intelligent. I'm not going to stand here and say I agree with everything that he's ever said because a lot of it goes over my head anyways because he uses big words that I don't know. But whenever he was asked one time, what is the most dangerous thing ahead of the church or what, what issue is the church facing that is going to be the biggest fight for the church? And without hesitation, without anything, without any thought, he said apathy. Instantly, he said apathy. He didn't have to think about it. And when I heard him say this, it was almost like I was driving home from work. I listened to podcasts or videos and stuff all the time on my way to and from work. I hardly ever, I love music, but I don't listen to it in the car. I don't really understand why, unless I'm with Allie because she likes music and she likes to listen to the talk. But I was listening to this, and as soon as he said it, it was just like it clicked in my spirit. It was like a question that I've been asking myself for months and years. What is going on with the church? What is, what is the problem? What is it that we don't see and all at once when he said that one word, it just clicked with me. It just made so much sense. But the worst part is, apathy is so rampant in the church, but many of us don't even realize it or understand it or see it. So many people in the church say, well, that's the world's problem. Well, if they want to, I've shared the God, just go on my Facebook page. There's scriptures on there. If they want the truth, it's out there. If they want to ignore it, that's on them. So many people in the church think that way. If they want to live in sin against God, by all means. I'm not going to, but that's up to them. That's like saying that we sh I shouldn't teach my kids not to punch people in the face at school. Well, I mean, if they get attention or expelled, that's, they have to face the consequences for their actions. I'm not punching people. If they want to, if they want to hit people, if I see a, a woman being abused out in public, I'm like, well, she chose that relationship. That's on her, Right? She chose to be with that person. She chose to marry that person. She chose this or that. We think these things in so many situations because we don't care enough to tell people the truth. Or we're so indifferent about a situation, if it doesn't affect us, then it doesn't affect the world. We just brush things under the rug so often. But we need as a church body to make our voices heard in a loving way. We need to preach and teach the truth wrapped in genuine love right. in the church today. I was reading 
a book doing studying this past week and I, I came across a part where they talked about the early church and, and how the early church saw just explosive growth. We read about it in scripture where it says a thousand were added to their number that day or 3,000 were added to their number that day, 5,000 and so on and so forth. And they started to look at the culture and the things of that time and understand why the church saw such explosive growth. And they gave four main reasons why and I wanna share those with you and then I wanna break them down just a little bit and with some scripture involved. But the four main reasons that they shared for the growth of the early church. And when I say early church, I'm talking like the first 400 years AD. The first 400 years. We know that the gospels written like 50, 60, 70 AD. I was believed to be written around 100. Acts was somewhere in the 60s. We know that the, that, that was when the Bible was written. So when we look at this and we look at the reason that it was growing, it wasn't because of the Bible. The church wasn't growing because of scripture. They didn't have scripture. They were living scripture. They were following exactly what God had called them to do and moving in that time. And these were the four reasons that that this author shared. Number one was the simple demand for absolute allegiance. Number two was equalitarianism that, that salvation was available to anyone and everyone. It provided hope for a better life and it satisfied our universal need to belong. And if we look at the church today, we can see the marks of apathy all over each one of those instances of why the early church grew. Let's look at the first example. Christianity has a simple demand for absolute allegiance. Acts 4.12 says this, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Before we get too far, does everybody here believe that the word of God is true? Okay. Because if we don't believe that, then we got a whole other sermon that we need to get to first. So as long as we're both believing that the words that are written in scripture are true, we can take a look at this deeper. Over the many years, apathy has caused Christians to really slack on this first part. Churches teach now all the time, well, do whatever makes you happy. Do whatever makes you feel good. If it doesn't feel good, it can't be from God because he loves you. He wouldn't ever do anything to you or allow anything to happen in your life that wouldn't make you happy and feel good, right? If anything bad happens, it's got to be the devil. We give him way too much credit in the church today. We give him credit for things that we do to ourselves. Churches teach, speak your truth. Follow your truth. It started in the world and it's creeped into our churches and our churches were so apathetic that Well, if that gets people in the doors, if that makes us all feel better and everybody leaves happy and smiling after church, then by all means, let's do it. But they forget the verse that we just read in Acts 4.12 and they forget John 14.6 that says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It doesn't say I am the way, your truth and the life. It says I am the way and the truth and the life. Not to mention the fact that through all of this, So many churches have forgotten about that 2 Corinthians verse that we read at the beginning of this where it talks about restoration, encouraging one another, and being in unity and living in peace. They see these things and they think that the only way to get there is to go around the design that God has created for us and to do it ourselves. Which brings us to our next reason that the church saw explosive growth in the early ages equalitarianism, that Jesus died for all men, for the slave and the king and everyone in between. At that time, 2,000 years ago, in the the Roman government and everything, there were class systems. 
It, you were a king, you were this, you were, a, you were in the army, you were a peasant, you were a slave. Not everybody was seen as equal. And while we still have remnants of that in different parts of society, that was the way of life back in these times. So to hear of a religion or a God that loves us enough to make us equal with everybody else, the same right and access to the salvation of Jesus Christ as anyone else, see how that would be a at the time. But again, our apathy in the church has caused us to stray away from this. When we read this verse where it says in Colossians 3.11, it says, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and Christ is in all. There is no Gentile or Jew. As Paul wrote that, and it's over these thousands of years, it's almost as if the church thought, well, yeah, here in this verse where it says, here there is no Gentile or Jew, it's like, well, in the church. In the church, there's no classification system, but it's us against the world. Outside of the church, it's, oh, he's, he's, a, he's an adulterer, or he's a sinner this way, he's a sinner that way. And we see all these different things, and we put, each, put people in boxes outside of the church, How in the world are they ever supposed to get in if we don't see them as equals in the Lord? How can we preach a gospel of grace through judgment? It doesn't work that way. At some point, the church got so disinterested and indifferent about seeing life transformation that all we care about is making people feel good when they come to church. Don't offend anybody in church. Don't say anything that might be a little bit edgy. You know, just read the Bible as plain as day and explain it. Don't use words like apotheology that you make up your own thing and confuse people and lead people astray. When really the heart of the church is truth. Truth in love. The third reason that the early church saw explosive growth. Christianity gave people hope for a better life. John eleven twenty five and 26 says that Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Whoever believes in me will never die. If that doesn't sound like a hope for a better future, I don't know what does. Spending eternity in glory with God, it doesn't get any better than that. But that's not the message that the majority of churches are preaching today. Today we hear that, well, if God loves everybody, he wouldn't send any of us to hell. When the reality is he doesn't send us there, we choose it. The word says that God would have no one go to hell. It says that he would have all people in heaven with him. But he loves enough to let us choose on our own. It's not loving to dictate what a person does and put them under your thumb and tell them, go this way, go that way, say this, do that. He gives us free will because he loves us. He doesn't send anyone anywhere. We choose where we go. We can choose the free gift of salvation or we can choose to be separated from God for all of eternity. It's up to us. But we hear, even though these verses say that whoever lives by believing me will never die, but the church has become so passive that it's easier to just say, oh, everyone's welcome. We're all good people. We all get to go to heaven. It sounds better. We preach a a message of acceptance and tolerance, but why? Jesus was not a tolerant God. 
he went into the temple and flipped the tables of the money changers. He didn't tolerate sin in his house. He didn't tolerate letting people just go and do whatever they wanted and made everybody feel better. He shared the truth in love. He was willing to be the only one that stood up and said, we need to live to God's standard. We need to honor God with our lives. My house should be a house of prayer and you made it a den of robbers. He didn't tolerate wrongdoing, but he loved the person that was doing wrong. The fourth, person, fourth reason that the early church saw such growth was the satisfaction of our universal need to belong. John three sixteen and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We all have a desire to belong deep within our hearts. There's people out there that are searching for something, searching for a place to belong, realizing that they already have a place to belong, just don't realize it yet. They just don't understand where they belong. And even though this verse says that Jesus was sent into this world not to condemn the world, what's the first thing that we hear when we share truth with somebody? You're judging me. You're condemning me. That, that's offensive. You're being judgmental. You're being intolerant. It's the first thing that we hear. And all we're trying to do is share the truth in love with somebody so that they can experience the same thing in their life that we experience in ours. And then they flip the script and now we see the persecution back and forth. But the difference between us now and then is persecution brought the early church together. Persecution in the church today drives us apart. Well, he told me to say that. It's his fault that I offended you. Well, my pastor taught me that, that, that everybody should get to go to heaven. It doesn't matter. And that's what he told me. So I'm just telling you what he said. It's really his fault. We hear these things and we get this persecution and all we do is deflect. It's them. It's the church. You're right. I'm going to leave the church. You're right. How could I ever serve a God that would allow people to hell? Persecution no longer brings us together, but it drives us further and further apart. But the sad thing is that the church has become so indifferent to it that we just go and start new churches. We just go and we plant here and we plant there and we, we do it all in the name of giving God glory when really we left because our feelings were hurt. We left because our pride wouldn't allow us to say, you know what, you're right, I am wrong in this. We allow the persecution from the outside world to drive wedges in our churches and drive us apart. When in the early church, the apostles, the disciples were willing to die, almost all of which did for the cause of Christ. To be crucified upside down, to be stoned to death, to be ridiculed and mocked. And yet they were willing to endure it for the cause of Christ. And the church today can't even be called bigots without freaking out and splitting up and exploding everything. When half the time they don't even use the terminology right. The definition of bigotry is talking about something that you have no knowledge in. Well, I say, well, what do you mean I'm being a bigot? Well, you hurt my feelings. That's not the definition of that. But we just go with the flow because we don't want to offend the world. And the church has become so numb to it that the world has affected the church and not the other way around. We are called to be a peculiar people to influence the world around us, not the other way around. 
We are not called to sit here quietly with our hands under our laps and wait for the world to tell us what we're supposed to do. How many years ago was it that somewhere in Texas, the pastors were mandated to turn in their sermon notes before they preached? And that was what? 2015, seven years ago. I think the world hasn't gotten worse in seven years. Somebody, people out there, their sole goal is to influence the church and we just sit back and let them. And it's wrong. I hope by now that the title of my sermon starting to make sense because the apathy in the church has crippled us to the point where it's not only affecting our lives, but it affects our theology. That's right. It affects what we preach. It affects what we teach. It affects what we believe. It affects how we interpret scripture because the Holy Spirit is supposed to illuminate it to us. But now we go back to it and say, well, I can't say that because so-and-so is not going to like it. I need to find a different translation that doesn't have that word in it. And then we start changing the Bible, even though we know exactly what it says to those who add or take away from the word. But people do it all the time. Just to spare feelings. We tell people what they want to hear instead of the truth that they need to hear. When in reality, telling someone what they want to hear is only helping yourself. Telling someone what they need to hear is helping them. Sharing the truth with others is for everyone's benefit. Opinion is another story. But truth rooted in scripture, rooted in love, benefits everyone. It's the same reason the church becoming indifferent and passive and apathetic is the same reason we go into across the world today. And there's more frowns than smiles. Three people at the front of the church are raising their hands during worship. The other half is just standing there doing nothing and, and 10 people are sitting in the back staring at their phones. It's not a generational thing. I've got a six-year-old that sat back there and listened to every word I said during first service. No glory to, to me or Allie, but it's not a generational thing. We like to blame the generation behind us for whatever they do wrong. Have we ever stopped to consider that maybe the church has become so apathetic to it that it's easier to just let people sit there and do nothing so that way they put money in the offering? Is it easier to just sit back and just listen to people spout off these crazy things and tell them, yeah, I think you're right, and then we turn around and, and go tell our friends, well, that person's crazy. We look at someone in the eye and smile and say, yeah, that's a great idea, and then we call our friends and think, whew, pastor's off his rocker. We hear a decision that's made by the leadership of the church and we think, oh, this is great. I'm so excited. And then we go to our favorite gossip spot in town and say, oh, this is terrible. That's How dare we let this person come in and do this? Yeah. If you think that I'm just spouting off out of ignorance, it's been said about me. Yes, it has. Yeah. People want to people believe, oh, Josh is coming in to take over the church. He's just going to come in and, and do what he wants and have his way with it. And the church has become so apathetic and disinterested that it's just like, oh, really? Oh, wow, that's terrible. We can't listen to him. And this isn't about me. I'm not trying to make any of this about myself. I'm using it as an example of the church sitting back and listening to all of these gossips, all of these wrongdoings, all of these lies, and just think, well, yeah, okay. If I tell you you're wrong, you're going to get mad at me. I'd rather you be mad at them. So I'll agree with you to spare the, the discomfort here. And then I'll go off and tell the people that agree with me that I disagree with you. Yeah. 
Even though the scriptures that we have read and the first scripture that we read this morning was about love and unity and restoration. God is not a God of gossip or ignorance. God is a God of restoration and healing of unity. Thank you. I was trying to find my spot. I got way off over here. <laughs> but it feels like we've just become so numb to it. We've just become so numb to it. I've said last time I preached, we still blame stuff on COVID. It's 2022. We're over halfway through. I saw somebody online post something the other day. Like, We're on day 879 of the 15 days to flatten the curve. But the church just sits back and does it. There are still churches that have not opened their doors from March of 2020. God have mercy. <laughs> because it's easier to just sit back and be apathetic about it and do nothing. Well, if we meet, what if the governor says that we can't? I'm much more concerned about what God says we can and can't do. We smile and we nod and we go about our days as if it doesn't matter because it's easier. I want to read out of Colossians chapter 3. Earlier we read Colossians 3.11 and I want to keep reading in 12 through 17. Because we go about our days and we're silent and we're apathetic and we're disinterested. But this is what the word says. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people... Are we God's chosen people, church? Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I'm going to read that one one more time. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. We've become apathetic because we forget what the Lord has done for us. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. But apathy is easier, right? Well, Pastor Josh, if I do all that, I don't have reason to be mad at anybody. I do it at work all the time. The engineers come and tell me to do something differently than I was going to do it. And I'm like, oh, you're a fancy piece of paper. It makes you smarter than me, huh? We all do it. There's somebody in our lives that we do that with. There are things in our lives that we do that with. We want to point the finger. We want to play the blame game because it's easier. It's easier as imperfect people to act as imperfect people than it is for imperfect people to submit ourselves to Christ, to let, take every thought captive unto Christ. That's way harder. So that's why we don't do it. That's why our churches are in the shape that they're in today. Because we're so indifferent and apathetic about so many things. 
Allie and Lindsay, if you guys want to come up and get ready as we wind down a little bit this morning. Service is winding down. I don't know if I'm going to. But as I was, as I was typing this and I thought about it, maybe I'm just different than most people. I remember Pastor Tim has shared several times that he had a family member tell him that he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. Maybe I fall into that category a little bit too. I don't know. Because there are things that I'm passionate about. I love church. Some people, it's just a place they go on Sunday morning to check a box. I'd live here if I could. She won't let me. But seriously, I love church. I love worship. I love listening to the messages. I love preaching the messages. I love coming out here and working on stuff and fixing things with my hands and creating logos and, and images for service. I love helping redesign a church or painting the walls. I just love doing it. Is any of that going to save somebody? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But I'm going to use my gifts for the glory of God however I can. But people th- see that and they think, oh, he's just overzealous. The ambitious young pastor. Guilty. Guilty is charged. But I don't have to be the only ambitious one here. Allie and Lindsay don't have to be the only ambitious ones leading worship. Larry doesn't have to be the only one ambitious that it's out there splashing in the water on Fridays at VBS with the kids. Larry doesn't have to be the only one ambitious enough to clean the toilets. I do it, but they're just always clean when I'm here, so I have to. Jackie and Jess don't have to be the only two ambitious enough to come back there every single week without fail to run the sound of the computer for us. We all have a purpose and a plan for our lives. We all have gifts and anointings and callings. I could stand up here and talk till I'm blue in the face, but if they weren't going to lead worship, they weren't going to run the the media stuff, the people weren't going to be in the back with watching kids, nobody would hear a word I was saying if they were even here. But we show up to church with zero excitement. It's just part of the routine. We're so disinterested in change that we'd rather be stuck in the ways of the past forever because it's what we know. This is a hill that I will die on. Church does not have to be boring to honor God. We can smile and have fun and worship the Lord. The pastor can stand up here and get loud without being mad at somebody. The kids can scream in the back and disrupt everything if that means that they're having fun in God's house. Kids aren't going to learn a single thing if they're just sitting back there getting yelled at, told to be quiet. It's okay to be excited about what God does in our lives. Is that not the whole reason that we're Christians in the first place? For what God did in our life? For the transformation we've seen? I'm not that guy anymore. That's why I stand here and share the messages that God has put on my heart. Because I don't want anybody to be that person anymore. I refuse to stand by and let apathy take over my life anymore. I refuse to do it. I just can't be apathetic about the God that loved me so much that he sent his only son to die for me. 
I cannot be apathetic about the God that created this universe. Another fact that I got from Dr. Frank Turk that he shared real quick, it's estimated that the number of stars in the universe is equal to all the grains on all of sand, on all the beaches, on all the shores, on all of the earth times 100,000. And if that doesn't blow your mind, to go from one star to another in our galaxy alone at the speed of a space shuttle, which is five miles per second, it would take 200,000 years to go from one star to another. How can we be apathetic about that kind of God? I can understand how people would be disinterested in a God that died and was still dead. How can we be disinterested in a God that sent his only son to die for us and not only allowed him to shed his blood for us, but that he was raised back to life so that we can defeat death. And after he was raised back to life and he was ascended into heaven and he took his place next to the Father that he could intercede on our behalf. How can we be disinterested in a God that listens to us, that loves us and cares for us, that created everything we see? Romans chapter one tells us that throughout his creation, he speaks to himself and that we are without excuse for believing in him simply by what we can see. And yet we serve a God of the unseen. We serve a God that nothing is impossible for. We serve a God that will do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. We serve a God that can work all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Newsflash, that's you. That's us. No more can we sit back and let the world tell us what we believe. Tell us what we can say, what we can preach, what we can teach. If we're just going to sit back and let them take over, we might might as well just shut it all down and go home. But we come back for a reason. We're here in this church today for a reason. Each one of us. Sometimes we forget what God did in our lives. Sometimes we forget the God that we serve. I want to read that passage out of Colossians one more time as we close. And I want this to be each and every one of our prayers this week. Write it down. Read it with me on the screen. If you've got your Bibles, it's Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. If you want to write it down and look it up later, if you want to find the message online later to remember what the verse was and read it, Make this your prayer this week. This is what I believe for our church, for our families. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, 
and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Our role in the kingdom of God is much too important to be apathetic about it. What God has called each one of us to do, the ministry that he has anointed for our lives is far too important. I would not be standing up here today if someone in my life, multiple people in my life were too disinterested in what God was doing in my life to show me. If I didn't have people in my life that were willing to speak into my life and pull my calling out of me and show me who it is I am in Christ, I probably wouldn't even be sitting with you guys. But people in my life cared enough to tell me the truth, to correct me when I was wrong, to teach me the word, to teach me the importance of being in the word and fellowshipping with God and getting in his presence. Because people in my life refused to be apathetic about what God was doing in me. And that is a ministry that God has for each one of us. There is at least one person in your life that no one else in this room can minister to. Because the way that God has ordained your life coincides with the way that he has ordained theirs and he has a calling for us to help each other find the truth. We don't have to fix each other's lives. But we've got to bring each other to the one that can fix it. And if we refuse to be apathetic, that's exactly what we'll see. That's exactly what we'll experience in our churches today. From Jonathan Creek to the other side of the world. But let it start here. Refuse to be indifferent about the things of God. And watch your life and your marriage and your children and your church and your job and every other aspect of your life change for the better. All because you refused to do it the world's way and you want to walk in the ways of the Lord. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word that you've given us, Father, to, to live by the instructions, that the knowledge that we gain from ministering through your word, the, the knowledge that we gain from studying and growing our relationship with you and seeking your face. Lord, I ask right now that you would just fill each and every person's spirit here with a fire of passion for you, Lord. A fresh touch of excitement and joy from the Lord. Father, I will pray it every day until you call me home or you come back to get us all to let Jonathan Creek Christian Church be ground zero for a revival and a revolution from your word in this world. Father, use us. Use the hearts that are willing to be passionate for you, that are willing to follow you no matter what. Lord, lead us, guide us, and direct us until we come back together again. I pray a blessing over each person that's here this morning, that hears this message, Father, that you would stir in their hearts throughout the week and that we as a body, we as family, would make the changes necessary to be most effective for you in this time. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.